For the 15th podcast, my guest is Nicole Kay, also known as Provisions to Nourish. Nicole is an all-star at meal planning, fridge diving, and stretching prepared ingredients across multiple meals and different recipes. We made a braised beef dish, and we'll discuss all the meals that we were able to stretch out of a one-pot meat preparation. Nicole, welcome to the Eat the World podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's just get into the meal that we made or the recipe that you suggested and go from there. Sure. Um, I selected the braised beef with lots and lots of onions simply because I thought it might be difficult to dive into your fridge. (laughs) I didn't know if you'd be open to that. And I know that you make the same dish as um, your guests on the podcast. And it just lends itself so well to converting into leftovers. I thought that that would be a fun recipe for you to try. I mean, to be honest, it was pretty easy. Oh, yes. And I was surprised at the variety of the dishes I was able to derive from it. What did you start with? And what did you end up making from that? So I started with the roast and just cooked it pretty traditionally. I threw some potatoes in at the end of the braise and uh, did some brown butter, maple syrup, glazed carrots to go on the side. The following evening, I converted the meal into risotto. And the those onions, they cooked down into these like wonderful, almost like French onion soup onions that just for some reason, I decided that I wanted to try that in a risotto and it worked out really well. I added some beef broth and a bunch of cheese and a little sour cream at the end and some fried onions on top. Oh, wonderful. It was really delicious. Um, And then the following evening, I made sandwiches. I shredded up the beef and um, put together a little horseradish mayo, just some odd bits of cheese that were in the fridge, a little bit of Munster, a little Fantina, um, I believe some white cheddar, and a little arugula. And then in the remainder of the soup that I created with the onions from the pot, uh, we dipped the sandwiches into the soup. And with all the snow and the freezing temperatures we've had, it was just kind of great comfort food over those few days. Absolutely. What kind of bread did you use? Um, For the sandwiches? Yes. For the sandwiches, I just used more of um, a sandwich loaf, an Italian loaf. Um, Typically, that's not the type of bread that we're eating. Usually we're eating um, homemade sourdough or a peasant bread that I like to make. But that just seemed appropriate for the sandwiches that I was making. Back in an early Instagram post, you had Audrey, who I guess is the name of your sourdough starter. Yes, Audrey is my starter. Is she still with you? She is. She just turned four years old on January 3rd, and um, I've been baking with her again. I put her away for most of the pandemic um, so far. I feel like the world started making sourdough and I kept her in my fridge for a while and um, I recently brought her back out again and I've been taking her for a spin and she's been producing some really excellent loaves. Yeah, we leaned into the uh, pandemic cliches pretty hard. So got the rescue puppy, uh, started the sourdough and did all of that. But I think after three or four months of of feeding and caring and tending, I, I put it away and just said, enough. It just started to be a lot more work. That being said, the pictures that you have of all the different sourdough loaves that you've made are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I really enjoy making sourdough. I don't know why or when at a point for me that just became a bridge too far. Um, It just was something that I needed to set aside for a while. And I'm, I'm glad I did because I've 
been able to come back with enthusiasm. And I just shared some of my starter last night. And um, I don't know what that one will be named, but one of Audrey's babies will grow into something wonderful here hopefully soon for someone else. Isn't that great? It's a, it's the gift that keeps giving. I love it. And I, I know people that have had um, starters. Um, one of my Instagram friends, she is from Canada and she lives in the UK now. And so hers traveled from Canada to the UK. Someone ha- lived, that lives in the States, they're started in Australia. And that's just really interesting to me because it is, it's living and breathing. I just think there's something wonderful about that. For the braised meat, did you add anything um, to the braising liquid besides the, the wine that the recipe called for? I didn't. I think that it can become rather like dry looking in the pan. And that's why after I, I prepared the dish, um, I add broth when if I wish to convert it into soup. Got it. Or something else. I definitely needed to add something to that. But it looked like you created some interesting dishes and you... Um, I did. I had... I, I saw ramen. So my path was a little bit different because um, while I had a roast in the freezer, it was a top round, which is a lot less connective tissue and a lot leaner than the chuck that you used. And I love chuck. Yes. I love chuck and I wish I had chuck to use. So I had to make some accommodations. The The last time I made a top round, I tried it using a sous vide and it turned out beautifully. So it broke down the meat without drying it out. This time was a lot more challenging because I used it at almost like a traditional braise, but really slow and really low temperature. Okay. Just to get it to the texture I was happy with. I wasn't happy with the flavor. I added, I added beef broth at the beginning. Okay. Actually, kind of mid-cook, I tasted the, the stock and it tasted, it tasted as the way that like a, like a mussels uh, meunier would taste. Okay. Because it had the, it, you know, had the fat and it had the wine. So I added beef broth midway and then it wasn't as fall apart as a chuck would be. So I ended up chilling it cutting it super thin and then reheating it. And in a way, you know, using my knife to break down all the fiber so that it was nice and tender. It it looked great. The different dishes that you prepared with it looked wonderful. It was great. So the first dish was steak sandwiches with Swiss cheese on a garlic bread roll. And then for the next day, I had to give the kids something to take to school. So I made garlic fried rice. And then on the garlic fried rice, I just chopped up the meat quite fine and mixed it in. It blended in perfectly. And then I went Asian for the rest. So I don't know if you, have you ever seen the movie Parasite? I haven't, but my son and his partner, they both encouraged me to watch it. You got to watch the movie. There's a special dish, they call it Ramdan, and and the dish itself is basically japaguri, which is kind of like a version of instant noodles, which they put incredibly expensive steak on top. So it's the contrast between pedestrian noodles and super high-end steak that is one of the dishes that's prepared for the movie. I made a version of it because I had japaguri in my pantry. And instead of the super expensive sirloin, I just added the meat that I prepared as part of this um, podcast. And it went great. Oh, wonderful. The second thing I did was for another, I think it was either lunch or dinner, I added some soy sauce to the braised meat that I was using for that meal and served it with rice and bok choy. And that went well. Oh, I love bok choy. And then for the last of it, because this dish really stretched out like four or five meals, I had a bowl of super, super spicy ramen 
like they warn you on the on the on the package, don't eat this ramen because it's so spicy. Uh, but that's you know a feature, not a bug, right? So I mixed that with the rest of the meat, and it just changed the characteristic of the ramen from you know spicy ramen soft noodles to spicy ramen soft noodles with a nice meat texture to it. Very interesting. Yeah. So I I thought. As an introduction to one of the things that you talk about a lot, which is reducing food waste and stretching out meals, I thought this was just the best dish you, you could have suggested. I I'm glad that you enjoyed it. One of the other reasons that I chose the dish、um, is because it's winter and it wouldn't require you to find any difficult to find out of season produce that doesn't taste the way it should, anyways. And I'm I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. At first, I thought of、oh, choosing a roast is that completely boring? Will he really want to braise meat and talk about that? <laughs> But it's so delicious, and we really enjoyed the additional meals、um, after the first phrase. So, what do you do for? I mean, you're in Michigan, correct? I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what do you do with out of season dining? Given you know how heavy you guys lean into winter. Um, well, we try to eat as seasonably as possible. Obviously, that doesn't work. It's not perfect because we wouldn't eat any fresh produce in the winter. It would all be canned or frozen. Since the pandemic started, I started getting shipments of imperfect from imperfect food. Have you heard about them? Yes,、uh, I did that for for a season as well. So we have these shipments of produce, these produce boxes that I can get just sent. To our doorstep as often or as little as I want, and that's been really wonderful. And it still fits with minimizing food waste. And it, they do use、uh, local companies or local farms, and they try to work with them, or even、um, cheese makers, or they have their own methods of kind of repurposing things instead of wasting them. If they can't sell something, they sell these dried bananas that really wouldn't have any kind of retail value. And they're great. I threw some in granola. Oh wow! Okay, so I ended up using a service called Misfit Markets, but I think theoretically it's the same thing. It's very similar. I think maybe Misfits has more produce. Yes,、mm-hmm. I started in the winter and I just got like a big box of beets, and you know it was seasonal for certain.、Um, but I think it. it It just made me hunger for you know spring and summer. Well, and I grow a lot of my own produce, and this year we had such unseasonable warmth that I was harvesting bok choy into almost December, and、um, my brassicas were still growing. I was harvesting broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage, which was all as unnatural as it was for it to still be warm enough to harvest things from my garden. It was nice to go out. Back and to pick things that、um, I could make into meals. I am super impressed with how you preserve foods, and I saw a couple times you were preserving lemons and making sauerkraut and even kimchi. Can you talk about your strategy for saving food going into the winter, and how's that worked out for you? I preserve a lot of what I can. Not, I mean, we still purchase foods in the winter. I mean, we still purchase produce, so. I enjoy fermented food, and it's so so good for you.、Um, and besides minimizing food waste, it's just that's another reason why I enjoy eating it. Making like the winter radish, the water kimchi, or a traditional kimchi, or the preserved lemons—they're just such a nice. They're such nice items to have on hand to brighten up things that can become dull and rather flavorless in the winter months、um, when you don't have access to as much fresh produce. When I saw the picture of the sauerkraut, it looked like there were. 
like small, maybe half inch balls on top of the cabbage. Oh, <laughs> those are actually pie weights. Just to repurpose something that I already have in my, my kitchen. I have a very small kitchen and I don't like one trick ponies. If I have something in my kitchen, a tool, I need to use it in multiple ways. I just don't have the real estate. I don't have the shelf space for silly things. So I decided to use my pie weights because they're heavy. And that's how I weight my sauerkraut to keep it submerged while it's fermenting. Hooray. <laughs> I feel like somewhere Alton Brown is uh, is smiling at us right now. <laughs> yes. He also doesn't believe in one-trick ponies. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't believe in one-trick ponies, and that's a really clever use of pie weights. Have you watched any of his pandemic videos? I saw one. I mean, I've watched the, the old Good Eats so many times, and uh, the way that he approaches cooking, it, it just it's so fundamentally intuitive to me. Um, which of the recent videos spoke to you? Uh, we have become obsessed with his date shakes. They're a coffee, frozen banana date concoction that are, they give you a little extra boost in the morning with the caffeine and they're just really, they're fun. And that's, that's brightened our winter. That's awesome. The, you know, I'm, I'm imagining like this, this Venn diagram of things that Alton Brown does and also things that you do, but on the list of, you know, repurposing foods and saving foods and, and reusing foods, smoothies is right up there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We have so many bags in our freezer. We have bags full of, uh, of fruit and those go into smoothies or jam or maybe even the filling for pastries. We have bags full of vegetables, like odd scraps of vegetables that go into stock. I have I have bags full of ends of homemade bread. I don't purchase croutons or um, breadcrumbs. I just I keep it in the freezer and it's there for me when I need it. And that's just that's just the way we cook. It's inspiring because I saw that you prepared some dish which used stale cinnamon rolls. Oh, yes. So, I mean, using, I mean, the idea of, in effect, it's a sweet, sweet crouton, right? Essentially, I, I, I turned it into almost a French toast by just soaking it in a custard and um, it transformed it. It no longer was a sad, stale cinnamon roll. It was this delicious dessert. I, I couldn't call it breakfast because I topped it with whipped cream and some other things. And it definitely had dessert vibes. Help me out here, though. What's a bean club? A bean club. I am a member of the Rancho Gordo Bean Club. Um, I, have you heard of Rancho Gordo? I went to the website based on what I saw from your Instagram page, but I couldn't find mention of a bean club. Okay, well, um, it's probably closed at this time. Um, there are different times where the bean club gets opened up. Steve Sando, he's the creator and the owner of Rancho Gordo. He started the bean club as a joke. He's in Napa Valley and they have all of their wine clubs. And he said, I'll just start a bean club. It'll be silly. And no one, you know, no one will take it seriously. But all these people were very interested in signing up for the bean club. And he had to limit membership. I receive a quarterly shipment of heirloom beans and sometimes an, an additional spice or something else that they're doing there. It's great. It's it's a highlight. And the beans are just phenomenal. After eating them, it, it's really difficult to look at commodity beans the same way or even canned beans. And it's not that I wouldn't, but it's just they're in a different realm. Well, the pandemic has also introduced me to cooking food with beans and, and dried pulses and all of those foods. 
Are you still doing a month's menu in advance or is that a thing that showed up once? Because I didn't see reference to it, but I thought it was so creative to actually think through and especially for something like beans where you need a day or two to kind of get the process going. Sure. We actually ate that way for a long time. Um, it has changed since the pandemic. I don't do my own shopping anymore. Um, my husband and I used to go to the grocery store together and we actually split the list in half and we made a game out of it. And we would do these monthly big shops um, and we would race through the store to see who could get to the end of their list the fastest. And I am the writer of the list and the creator of most of the recipes that we eat. So I would try to give him handicaps and different things and make it take longer, but he always beat me. (laughs) But during this time, I haven't been in a grocery store since March 13. And we've been doing the imperfect orders. We've been doing grocery pickups. So it's definitely changed for me because someone else is doing my shopping. And it it might be, you know, working with their substitutions. Um, I don't do quite so much just because it might be more difficult for me to have control over you know, those ingredients, or if we don't get something that's part of the plan, I still am utilizing what I have and wasting as little as possible. It's just not shopping in quite so such um, big shops. Well, I think you have to maintain a sense of humor about the whole thing and, and, and a sense of resilience, because it has changed how if you were trying to cook in the same manner as pre-pandemic, you're either exposing yourself in a, in a way that's needless or you're stressing yourself in a way that's needless or you're trying to replicate a world that's just, you know, for at least the time being has changed. It's not, yes, it's not the world that we're living in. Understanding that someone else is doing my shopping for me, none of it bothers me. They apologize if they have to make a substitution and that that is the least of my worries in all of this. If, if I get something that I didn't order, it's a, di- a different cut of meat. I just roll with it. I had a podcast a few a few podcasts ago, and one of the things that showed up in my guest's feed pre-pandemic was, oh, I really want 2020 to be a year that we all can eat more communally. And it, it was a great sentiment at the time, but looking back, you just kind of have to laugh and say, okay, that's that's completely gone. Yes. But one of, one of the things I saw from one of your pre-pandemic podcasts was something that you know, at the time would have been a a major challenge, like a 30-day no-spend challenge. Yes. But now it's like, you mean 30 days without going for external shopping and using what I have in the pantry? That sounds like, you know, either September, October, or November. Exactly. Um, We talked about potentially trying to do that in January, and we just ultimately opted not to do that because as nice as it is to push ourselves to waste even less, now is not the time. <laughs> it, it's just not the time to feel like we're going without. I've really focused on using, you know, what we have to comfort the family as much as possible. Even if we can't get to, together communally with others, it's a time that we look forward to that we spend together. Still, we just keep trucking away. The mealtime is so important and it can sometimes be the only bright spot in the day for whatever is stressing us. You know, it's still nourishing us and those meals are still there for us. And I'm grateful for that. Well, it certainly elevated the importance of cookies in in one's life. Exactly. And you mentioned communal. We can't obviously safely get together with the people that we love, but I have been preparing food and dropping it off for people on their porches periodically. That's wonderful. Sharing soups or stew or cooking birthday treats for individuals or even um, 
for holidays. Just trying to share with some of those um, in our extended circle that are alone and kind of harboring this more on their own. That's really great. And it's, it's a nice way to still feel connected. Do you belong to cookbook clubs or are you just a, a big cookbook fan that cooks from cookbooks? I belong. So I belong to the Food 52 Cookbook Club. That's the largest cookbook club that um, I belong to. We had 25,000 members, but since the beginning of the pandemic, our numbers have grown to 37, over 37,000. So it's just a huge community of cooks. And that is my main cookbook club where I usually will cook along with the monthly selection and we cook through it as a group and we discuss, we you know photograph and discuss the recipes that we're preparing. Um, right now, um, it's our birthday month so we can share recipes from anything that we've previously cooked out of. Yeah, by the way, happy birthday. Oh, it's not my birthday. It's my husband's birthday. It was my husband's birthday yesterday, but thank you. Okay. Happy birthday to your husband. <laughs> yes. Some people thought it was my birthday, but I, I made the, the Zingerman's cake for him. Zingerman's is a weird place. It is. That's actually, that is the last vacation that we took as a family. <laughs> we road trip to Ann Arbor. I took a class at the bakehouse. And um, it was the, the original founder of the Food 52 Cookbook Club, Lindsay Jean Hard. Um, she wrote a book called Cooking with Scraps. And she offered a couple of classes in 2019, in the summer of 2019 for, for the book. And I said, I need to go to this class. You know, she, I think she's a great person. The book is phenomenal. It's an inspiration, you know, to using up all those odd bits. And um, my family supported me. And we essentially, <laughs> we took a road trip for a few days and ate at every Zingerman's, almost every part of the franchise in Ann Arbor. And um, there's another cookbook that we did for the club uh, called Sister Pie in Detroit. And one of the days we drove into Detroit to eat at Sister Pie. How far are you away from Ann Arbor? Um, I think it was maybe a six hour drive. Okay, that's a real drive. I decided that I, I wanted to go on this journey and take the class and I was going to go alone. And then my family said, well, why don't we just make a little trip of it? And they were really supportive and it wasn't difficult for them. They ate very well the entire time. <laughs> Having breakfast at the bakehouse or going to get Rubens at the deli. It was a lot of fun. So I've never been to Wisconsin and I've never been to Michigan. Okay. But it's strange that somehow Zingerman's has existed in my, in my memory for 20 or 30 years because of friends that have gone to, you know, University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and the mention of Zingerman's keeps popping up. So it kind of exists only in lore. But when I saw you got it from Zingerman's Bakery, I thought, oh, this is this is also kind of a connection between those two, you know, the real sphere that you've operated in and, and the idea of Zingerman's, which has always existed in my mind, at least for a couple of decades. Well, and from what I understand, they started out as this very small business and they grew into all these different things to the point of where they're offering classes at the bakehouse and even classes in how to grow your own bakery business. And it's really just become this big, this big thing. And um, it was neat. It, it was something that we definitely enjoyed. And I, I look forward to taking more trips like that, even if it's only to follow one of my cookbooks. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot of fun. I saw that you like, thank you. And by the way, thank you for liking the lasagna that I made a few days ago. Oh, it looked fantastic. And I love the, the new collaboration with Vicky and Anna that they're doing. 
um, it's wonderful that you participated in that. They're a couple of my favorite food accounts. That's crazy because I, you know, I just found out about them through another podcast interview, and the message was, you know, the first one to jump onto is this one. It's easy. It's Thursdays and it's pasta. And then I thought, all right, I can do this. I'll just whip up a lasagna and see how it goes. Yeah, who doesn't love pasta? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their their accounts, their pictures are so lovely. Their photography is just out of this world. Um, and Vicky makes a lot of sourdough too. Her loaves are are beautiful. She does like a sourdough Saturday. But the the funny thing about it, and this was, uh, I don't know if you follow uh, Sarah Gustafson, uh, Just a Cook in Canada. She was the one who told me about this. Okay. I didn't realize just how communal it is. So I thought I'd post a picture and then that would be it. But, you know, I got a bunch of DMs and, and it became part of a story and I was really thrilled. Yeah, there it's the food community. It's such a wonderful, it's a, it's a community. And it's been something that is definitely just, it's been a great thing to be connected to during this time. I mean, I cooked so much prior to the pandemic, but just sharing, sharing so much with all of these just wonderful individuals. I cooks tend to be you know, some of the best people. And I've really, I've only seen that truth on Instagram. I haven't seen another side of that. It's everyone is so supportive and encouraging and just willing to share, share stories, share information, share techniques. I love being a part of that. I completely agree. I think you and I, we should make fridge diving a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if someone's listening and, you know, wants to know your approach to fridge diving, where do you start and where do you go? And are there like a set of rules or at least a, a, a framework for figuring out fridge diving? Not really. I think it, it's just a matter of diving in. It's taking a look at what you have. Um, and I'm always doing that. It's just become a part of my DNA now. I'm constantly assessing, okay, what do we have left? What will this go with? Or looking at, okay, this needs to be used first. And just thinking about the flavors that work really well together. Um, and that the more you do it, obviously, the easier that becomes. But um, a website that's really helped me, I use a website called Eat Your Books. And I catalog, I, I catalog all my my cookbooks with it and I can type in an ingredient or the name of a recipe and it will pull up everything. Um, bok choy, for example, every cookbook that I have, every recipe for bok choy might be right there. And that helps me when I'm feeling uninspired, but it's just really looking um, for fridge diving at anything that you have any little odd bits of vegetables or cheese or dairy um, anything that you don't want to go bad, anything that you want to do, you want to save from getting tossed in the garbage. Um, pasta lends itself really well to fridge dives, tacos, eggs, rice. There are certain things that you can start with as the foundation that just makes sense into, you know, creating something else with. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, I just saw the Eat Your Books and they have something like 2 million archived recipes. It's fantastic. Uh, for most of the books that I own, most of the books in my collection are archived, which makes a huge difference in actually utilizing my collection. Some people look at my shelf and wonder if I there's any way that I could use all of the books that I have, but I absolutely use them. And one of the reasons is eat your books. You posted two pictures. This is spread out over maybe a year plus 
of your cookbook collections. And it's it's ex- it's expansive. It's extensive. Oh, it's grown by leaps and bounds. <laughs> I made a joke. We were talking. There's an Eat Your Books cookbook club that I participate in sometimes as well. And we were chatting. And, you know, sometimes people have a difficult time justifying the purchase. And I, I look at a new cookbook and just acknowledge that it's not drugs. And then we move on. <laughs> You want to spend 50 bucks on a cookbook and then, you know, the the end result is that as a family, we all get to eat well. I'm in. And that's exactly why I don't think anyone really has a problem with my collection that is starting to take over an entire room of our house now. (laughs) Or the pile of cookbooks on my nightstand that I bring upstairs with me. (laughs) Um they're just kind of piled all over the house. Um, everyone, everyone enjoys the outcome. So, are you cookbook reading prior to creating your shopping list, or is it the thing that you use as a creative inspiration for your fridge diving, or both? Okay, so typically, um, it, it's probably both. Typically, I will start. There will be a handful of cookbooks that I'll wish to focus on for any particular month. And I'll start flipping through and taking anything that I might be interested in making. But I definitely am also looking at what I have and what I can make based on those ingredients that are already here. And is it all done within the context of a 30-day forward view? Not Well, not anymore because... Um, okay. Okay, I start at the beginning of the month with our focus, if I'm participating in a cookbook club, for, and that is the focus. That is a 30-day forward view, but not it might be on a smaller scale now because I'm not shopping every 30 days, maybe only for the next two weeks when it used to be broader pre-pandemic, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, my cooking has changed to some extent because the first thing is that I'm doing more podcast interviews and then uh, I, I get relieved from the responsibility of figuring out what to make by someone suggesting something awesome. And that's usually, it's both interesting and and usually a cooking stretch for me. And then what's also changed is with my kids going to school, uh, I want to prepare something for them that's warm and that's also spoon friendly. Mm -hmm. That change, and they're going to school now, it's four days a week on and one day a week off. Okay. So for four out of seven meals, it's going to be like I used um, a turkey, I made turkey noodle soup which was kind of like a fridge diving because I needed to finish up the the turkey that I, you know, vacuum sealed and frozen from Thanksgiving. A lasagna suited itself perfectly, and that went in pretty well. Uh, the garlic rice and uh, beef that we talked about. So something like that makes more sense than in the old days where I'd put together a sandwich because I think, you know, nowadays I'm happier them using a spoon in their hands. Mm-hmm. And that kind of works back to what my menus are going to look like. I think I'm going to try doing these these cookbook clubs just because any any opportunity to gain a greater connection to people who also like to share recipes and share food stories, I'm, I'm happy with. I would definitely take a look at the Food 52 Cookbook Club. It has been just a consistently positive um, community and just a bright spot always. And just, we are focusing on new cuisines all the time, whether it be African, Vietnamese, Korean, just we've, we've covered so many different things. Um, I I think you would really enjoy it. Okay. So not to be like a complete noob about the whole thing. 
What's my entry point? How do I specifically get started? Uh, well, you can start by signing up. There's a Facebook group. Okay. Um, I don't know if you use that platform. For a long time, I only used that platform to participate in my cookbook club and in the Rancho Gordo Bean Club. Um, can't leave that out. <laughs> but they um, they have a, just search for Food 52 Cookbook Club and ask to get added. And um, one of the moderators will add you. Food 52 Cookbook Club, 36,000 people. Okay, join group. Because I don't post, I post almost exclusively to Instagram. They're not connected. Um, you can post on Instagram, just hashtag uh, F52 Cookbook Club. I'm going to do that. I use Instagram probably more to participate, but you're still participating in the club if you're using the um, F52 Cookbook Club hashtag. And the community will still see those posts. I'm friends with a lot of people from my cookbook club um, on Instagram as well as, you know, interacting with them um, in, in the cookbook club itself on that page. I'll do it. I'm curious to see if what the, you know, after I post one or two pictures, if there is interaction or if it's just, oh, you did, I did, or what's the, the level of mutual feedback? It is really interesting to see each individual's interpretation of a particular dish or things that work really well for one individual, but that don't work well for another individual. Uh, but overall, the feedback is just really positive that um, it's it's a nice community. <laughs> no one is no one says anything derogatory about things. You know, there are a lot. We have all different skill levels participating. And it's just, it's a nice place. I saw one, I had a conversation, I haven't posted it yet, but it is from uh, Just to Cook in Canada that ended up making um, fried tagliatelle with chickpeas and smoky tomatoes from the Ottolenghi cookbook. Ooh, which one? I think it was, I'm trying to see which book it came from. Maybe it was from, could be Norse by Nor, but regardless, both Noor and Ottolenghi reposted, which I think would be like, the pinnacle of all cooking existence. Well, that is one thing that is just really, really flattering when you interact with the individual that wrote the book. I, I think that that is one of the things that really uh, makes it clear how united we all are wherever we're doing what we're doing. And um, the there was a particular cookbook that we covered, The Everyday Korean, where one of the authors interacted with me the entire time. She was so supportive. She kept reposting my photos and she couldn't believe that I tried X, Y, or Z. And she just, I was tickled the entire time. It made me want to, it made me more excited about cooking out of the book because she, I felt like she was right there with me. And I was just, I was a little starstruck, but also it, it was just, you know, we're all, we're all just people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're, and you're, I think you mentioned it was maybe it was your son's partner, or there was some connection to Korean food that that helped in this process. Is, is am I remembering it correctly? Yes. Um. So she is Korean, and her parents are actually both living in Seoul right now. And um, her and my son spent a month there in 2019. And I said that the only thing that I wanted, um, the only thing that I wanted was um, Korean chili flakes. And her mother said, no, just give her this. And she gave me this giant unmarked bag. And she told me, she instructed that I needed to keep it in the freezer. It just this giant bag. I have no idea where it came from. I, and I put it in my food and I, I just, I love it. There's something about her sharing that with me that is, um, just really wonderful that I use it in everything. I use it in my kimchi. 
Um, we were actually just chatting last night, Patricia and I, that we need to, that she said that she needs more and that she needs to find a way to get more. <laughs> so my last questions revolve around, I guess, gardening and foraging. So tell me more about foraging first. So we are foragers. Um, we, in Wisconsin, we do have a lot of wooded areas and it's something that we've learned about over the last several years. Um, my family and I, mostly my husband and our youngest daughter, um, we will go out into the woods in the summer and search for chanterelles and um, wild berries. We really enjoy um, hunting for wild blackberries or these um, little black raspberries. In some parts of the world, they call them black cap, mm -hmm. but they're nothing like a commercial red raspberry. It's an adventure to go out. We have some spots that we visit um, regularly where we consistently can find, you know, something specific that we're searching for. But it's a hike in the woods um, with a, a snack. <laughs> you know, at the local farms, we've done pick your owns and they're amazing and the kids love it. And, you know, you come back a big mess, but happy. I haven't done anything in regard to mushroom foraging. Do you take a class first or how do you make sure that you're not just going down a dark path? We haven't, um, but we do have manuals and there are certain field manuals that we bring with us. And we tend to stick to things that really cannot be mistaken for anything else. A chicken of the woods mushroom, for example, you could never mistake it for something poisonous or harmful Okay. for you. And when in doubt, we just leave it where it is. If there are certain species that look very similar to other species that we just don't we don't really dabble in that. Um, and there are some that are just not choice edibles. So maybe we find them and we enjoy the hunt, but we might leave them there in the forest because it's not something that we really need to take home and prepare. But a chanterelle would be, I mean, that would be amazing. It's like a find. Yeah, fresh chanterelles. And we have a spot um, where we consistently find them over and over again as long as we have enough um, brain. And that's the best time to really head out after a good rain because things can um, things can grow literally overnight. It's now February. When do you start thinking about your mix for your garden and what are you going to do this year? Now, I have a lot of seeds and I have a setup in the basement. I have some small greenhouses and most of what I grow, probably 95 to 90%, 98% of what I grow, I start from seed myself. And I mostly, I typically focus on heirloom varieties for flavor and beauty and just something different from what I can find, you know, commercially. I, I start growing. I should I should be starting some of my seeds now for herbs and pepper plants. And then you have grow lamps in the whole setup? I do. I have small greenhouses um, and grow lamp. I need to try this because we did last year, we ended up going from seedlings. We used a mix of not really commercial lamp, but kind of like a, an inefficient home lamp plus a window. And a lot of the... Um, a lot of the leaves became leggy. Mm -hmm. I don't think they were so sturdy because there wasn't enough natural wind to, you know, encourage, I guess, good, good, strong herbs. But I'd like to start again this year. You really want to start your herbs early because they can take a long time um, to develop into something more mature um, and start with growing with the, when you start your seedlings, position the 
lamp or the grow light that you're using closer to the soil and gradually move it up. And if you're concerned that your seedlings are weak, you can take them out. Well, you should be taking them out um, prior to planting and doing what's called hardening them off and exposing them to bits of um, like sun and wind and bringing them outside for short durations during the day and increasing that duration and bringing them out with greater frequency so that they can um, be strong enough when you put them in your soil. This is a, a plan for 2021 because I also found that in 2020, it was surprisingly, everyone got a rescue dog and everyone tried to do home gardening. So, and I guess everyone tried to do baking. So the things that ran out sooner than what you would have thought, I'm, I'm hopeful that this year won't be the case, that we're back to quasi-normal. It's funny that you mentioned that because when this all started, <laughs> I, and there were some seeds that I still wanted to purchase and things. And I just kept remarking, I can't find any of these things. Everyone else is enjoying my hobbies. This is wonderful. <laughs> But I can't find, you know, some of the tools that I need. And I called our garden last summer, I called it my MacGyver garden because I had the absolute least in resources, probably. There were no, I mean, even though I, I start most of what I do from seed, we still like to visit local garden centers or all attend herb fairs and things like that. And there were no long leisurely walks through the garden center. There, there was none of that. And it was just making do with very little. But in some ways, that's so much more satisfying that too. There's little that is more satisfying to me than starting a seed in a little bit of soil and being able to eat the end result of that. And where we live, when we purchase this home, nothing was alive in our backyard. There was this monstrosity of this above ground pool and this ridiculous deck that took up every inch of space. And now the only thing that we have in this small backyard is it, it's really just a garden. I, I don't even know if we could call it the backyard anymore because we just, over time, we increased raised beds and made our grow space larger and larger. And it's just wonderful. It was all rock and chlorine and we created life where the, where none existed. And that's, it's awesome. That's fantastic. We ended up joining a community garden several years ago and in preparation for what we were going to plant during the pandemic, you know, in the past we would just go every day or every other day. And then it became this communal activity of seeing what your friends are growing and having talks about your tomatoes versus their tomatoes and the whole thing. But we knew that last summer, we, w we didn't want to do any of that. So we ended up planting things that were the hardiest and the least time intensive to minimize the amount of time that we spent at the community garden. But you end up getting like zucchini overkill. And it was a good choice given the time. But now I'm trying to rethink, you know, what do I really want from the garden? And I think it's going to be a lot more things that add a, a zest or a flavor or, or, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a core or root vegetable. Like I'd be very happy with like Vietnamese coriander or very happy with a row of, of four or five different types of basils. And that's what I enjoy doing. I've, there was one summer I probably grew eight different basil varieties. We always lean heav heavily into the herbs or I grow um, za'atar oregano fresh, which a lot of people, they don't know the difference between the spice blend and the herb. It started with an herb and um, the spice blend was something that came later with people trying to emulate that flavor profile from the fresh herb. And it, it's fantastic. And it's not anything that I've ever seen available for purchase in my area, but I can grow it in my backyard. Is it perennial or do you have to uh, get seed and start again? So 
it doesn't seem most oregano um, is perennial. It is something that I, I can winter over and it will grow again for me. I haven't had as much luck with the zadar, but this year and an effort to extend extend the fresh herbs and that I, I was able to use, I brought some of my herbs inside and put them in my my um, greenhouse in the basement. So I've been able to continue growing and enjoying the zadar or fresh bay leaves or thyme, um, rosemary. And I've, I've kept all of those going down there. That's great. Well, this has been a really fun chat. We touched upon so many different things that, that, than what I would normally talk about in a podcast, but I'm so glad that I did. I'm, I'm glad that we had the chance to connect as well. It was nice chatting with you and I hope that you join some of the larger communities that I'm a part of and, um, connect with more cook. I will. Nicole, thank you so much. Thank you. 